Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I have four kids. I'm familiar with messes. But I shouldn't blame it all on everybody else in my house. I'm quite the mess maker myself. In my home, I'm actually the one who holds the record for most broken plates broken bowls, broken glasses, stuff flushed down the toilet, grinded up in the garbage disposal. That's me. I'm a mess maker. When we make messes, we generally don't want people to know that we have made much of a mess. (laughs) Especially when you've done something wrong, which has created that mess. (laughs) You've got to clean it up quick. Cover your tracks. Hide the mess. Make sure nobody sees it. That's especially the case when you're a preteen boy and you and your other teenage brother have been left alone home while your parents have gone out for the evening. I have one older brother, and when we got of age that my parents could leave, they left us unattended at home. And on one particular evening... My parents were gone, and my brother and I went to the kitchen for a little snack. And so we got out the box of Twinkies. We only had the healthiest food available to us. I wonder what happened to Twinkies. Are they still around? Are they doing okay? That's good. I, I love the Twinkie. I just haven't had one in years. But in this moment, you know, my brother and I, we both unwrapped a Twinkie, and instead of taking a bite of the Twinkie, we started smashing the Twinkies in each other's faces and mashing them in each other's hair, and backing up and throwing chunks of Twinkies at each other, and not just two Twinkies, but a whole box of Twinkies. And as soon as we got done with the infamous Twinkie fight, my brother and I panicked as we looked around the kitchen at the mess that we had made. And we thought, oh man, we got to clean this up. So we started cleaning and wiping and cleaning and wiping. We probably cleaned the best we've ever cleaned that kitchen, Except days and weeks later, we were still finding pieces of Twinkie behind the coffee pot and that kind of stuff. You know, just quick wipe it up. And we never said a word about the Twinkie fight until we were in college and the statute of limitations had passed and (laughs) everything was fine. This is what we do, right? When we make a mess and we know that we shouldn't have, we do everything we can to, to cover it up, to hide it, to move the mess. You do the same thing. You get, you get a call or text, somebody's coming over to your house, and you look around, and you're like, man. So you quick throw the dirty dishes in the dishwasher or back in the cupboard. You, you take the laundry baskets, and you put them in the back room, close the door. Welcome to our home. We all do it. The point is, we don't want people to see our mess. So we do everything we can to clean it up and cover our tracks. And I need to be honest with you, I don't just do this with my physical mess, I do it with my spiritual sin mess as well. Honestly, I'm I'm totally real with you, I stand before you today a sinner just like you, and I will will proudly admit that to you, I, I do not have it all together, I'm a poor miserable sinner, but I'm not really going to let you see all the thoughts that have been in my head. 
I'm not going to speak out loud the things that I have mumbled or spoken in private. You don't want to see all of that. This is what we do all of the time. We give a sanitized image of ourselves to the world. We're always trying to cover up our tracks and just make it look a little bit more presentable than it really is. It's human nature. It's our sinful nature. It's exactly what King David did. We are in the story, reading through the Bible chronologically, and we're in chapter 12 today, where David is king. Those of you who have been with us, we've, this is our third week with David, we've been watching him grow up, and now he's on the throne, and things are actually going really well for him at this point. The nation of Israel is unified under his leadership. The, the nation of Israel has expanded its boundaries all the way to the, to the region that was promised to Abraham a long time ago. The Philistines have been pushed aside. The Ark of the Covenant is in Jerusalem. There is unified worship of God. God has even promised to David that, that his family legacy would be one where a king would come that would rule and reign over all things forever and ever. David has amassed immense wealth and power. But if we know anything about humanity's sin problem, it is that with great power, oftentimes comes great pride. And with great pride, unless tempered and checked against God's word, will ultimately lead to sin. And this is the story of what happens to David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It was springtime, the time where armies go out to fight one another. And David's army went out to battle, but David did not go out to battle this one particular day. He stayed behind. And he was walking on the rooftop of his palace when he noticed a beautiful woman. What David is about to do is not good. It is not good. It is not a moral example. David is a married man, a man who's supposed to be after God's own heart, but he sees this beautiful woman, and he inquires about who she is. He sends some people to find out who is this woman. They report back. Her name is Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah, one of your important soldiers. But for the king, knowledge of this woman was not simply enough to satisfy him. So Uriah is out on the battlefield, and David sends for this woman Bathsheba to come to his palace. And there he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. It sounds like something out of a modern soap opera, TV drama. This is the Bible. This is real life. These are what God's people do. David is a man who the Bible describes as being after God's own heart. If you were here two weeks ago, I, I told you this. David is a man after God's own heart. He, he has a heart that wants to be aligned with God. He believes in God. The actions that he is taking do not seem like the actions of a godly man. How could he do this? And I think David knows this in his heart. 
So he does what any teenager would do after a Twinkie fight or what any human would do when they have committed a brazen and embarrassing sin. He tries to cover it up, lie about it, hide the mess, cover it up, push it aside, move it, clean it up as fast as he can. How does he go about this? His first idea is this. He calls for Uriah, the woman's husband, to come home from the battlefield. He hopes that Uriah will go straight home, spend the night with his wife, and later on find out that she had a baby and think that the baby is his. But Uriah is a, is a faithful soldier to the king and to his fellow soldiers, and he does not think it's fair when he comes home to go and have the comforts of his wife in his own bed while his fellow soldiers are out dying on the battlefield. So he instead sleeps outside the king's palace. And King David wakes up and sees him there and thinks, oh no, what am I going to do now? So he says, Uriah, why don't you spend another night here in town? And this night he gets Uriah drunk and tries to send him home. But Uriah won't go, spends another night sleeping on the ground. Oh, it's all falling apart, David thinks. What am I going to do? They're going to find out. So his next idea, more drastic, he sends note to the commander of his army saying, when Uriah returns, I want you to engage in a hard battle, a dangerous battle, and I want you to send Uriah right to the front lines where his chances of dying are good. That's what they do, and that's what happens. Uriah's dead. And David takes Bathsheba to be his own wife. It's tragic. I read this story and I think to myself, David, you fool. You had everything going for you. You're doing great things for God's people. Come on, you knew God's word. You knew his commands. You were leading people to the worship of the almighty God. You knew it. You knew what you were supposed to do and you broke it. You broke multiple commandments, David. You coveted it after your neighbor's wife. You committed adultery. You lied. You murdered. Come on, David. You should have known better. And then I look at my own life. I should know better. I should know better. I'm no better than David. My sin, while different than his, is equal in God's sight. I should know better. I stand before you, teaching you God's word, proclaiming God's commandments to you, encouraging and spurring you on to keep his word. And yet I, I should know better. But just like David, man, I don't want anybody to see my mess. So most often, I try to just put it aside not let anybody know. I think that there are really two options for dealing with this spiritual sin mess. One is what I've already described and what you and I naturally do, where we just try to push it aside, cover it, hide it, clean it up as best as we can so nobody finds out, never talk about it. That's option one. The second option, when you've got a mess, a sin mess, Simply to confess. 
Confess. Confession. It's what David eventually does. And not by his own intuition, but because Nathan the prophet comes to him. God came to Nathan the prophet and said, Nathan, I know what David did, and I want you to go talk to him about it. So Nathan confronts the king, and as soon as the king finds out that Nathan knows about his sin and that God knows about his sin, David says three very important words. I have sinned. I have sinned. Will you say those three words with me? I have sinned. Those are three very important words for sinners to know and have ready on your lips. And as soon as David spoke those words, you know what Nathan said? He said, the Lord has put away your sin. Your sins are forgiven. Nathan says, David, even though your sins are egregious, God forgives you. God forgives you. God forgives you. Yet there's still a hard truth in this story. And this is it. David's sin has consequences still. He is forgiven, but his sin has consequences on this earth. Most tragic, the child that David and Bathsheba conceived, this first child, died early on in life. Your sin and mine, it has worldly consequences. We can't deny that reality. If you commit adultery, if you lie, if you murder, if you steal, whatever sin you commit, whatever it is, it has consequences on this earth. And those consequences ought to serve as a reminder to us to sin no more. We should want to avoid and flee from sin because we know it damages our lives and the lives of others. But that doesn't mean that we're not forgiven. Don't get this wrong. You still stand forgiven. God says, I forgive you. Sin no more because it will have consequences for other people. Confession, it's important. At the beginning of every worship service, right towards the beginning, we spend time in confession. Why do we do that? Because if we don't confess our sins, it's as though we say to Jesus, I didn't really need you to die for me. I got it pretty good. I did all right. If we don't make room to confess our sins, we will never fully experience the forgiveness in life that Jesus promises us. Pastor Kevin read these words today from 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you walk around saying, I don't have much of sin, you are deceiving yourself. And you're not speaking the truth. You're lying. And you're making a liar out of Jesus as well, John says. But if you confess your sins, this is also what we read, but if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you, clean you 
from all unrighteousness. When you confess your mess, Jesus comes in with commercial cleaning equipment into your heart and into your life to scrub you clean and make you new. Jesus comes to clean up your mess. You can't do it on your own. Jesus' death paid the penalty for every one of your sins and his resurrection opened the way to everlasting perfect life for you. Confession is so freeing. Sometimes we talk about it as getting that weight off your chest. You ever heard that? Got to get that weight off my chest. What is that? Well, your heart is in your chest, right? As we talk about having a heart after God's heart, if your heart is burdened with sin, you cannot handle the pressure of your sin and the consequences of it yourself. There is a great weight that comes when you're trying to cover up your tracks. So when you confess your sins, you give it to Jesus, and in replace of your sin comes flooding into your life, forgiveness and life in Jesus Christ. What a freeing thing this is. I am so grateful in this story that God sent Nathan into David's life. If Nathan had not shown up, I'm not sure what would have happened. But Nathan showed up to speak truth into David's life, to point out his sin, but then also to speak forgiveness to him. I want you to know this, because some of you don't know this, but if any of you are ever afflicted with sin that you just can't seem to get off your chest, that is burdening you and it's not, you're not able to shake it through our corporate confession or through your dialogue with God in your own personal prayers, if you just feel afflicted, you can reach out to me, Pastor Kevin. There is room to invite you into a time of private confession and absolution where you simply speak of your sin, what's burdening you, and here I speak Jesus' words to you of forgiveness. Now, this is not just limited to he and I as pastors. You can do this with any Christian person that you trust. You can confess your sins. And as Christian people, you ought to be ready to speak the words of Jesus to your fellow Christians when they confess their sins. No strings attached. Don't add on, if, if you do this and this, then Jesus will forgive you. No, you just clearly speak to a confessing soul. Jesus loves you and he forgives you. You ought to be doing that amongst one another. But if you don't know where to go or you're particularly troubled, please reach out to us. One of the primary things that we do as your pastors is speak Jesus' words of forgiveness and love to you. So that's an open invitation always. Finally, today in our readings, in the Old Testament, we read from Psalm 51. I didn't, we didn't read the narrative of what David did wrong, but we read what he said after when he was confronted in his sin. You ought to read these words over and over again yourself. But in particular, David said these words, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Right? He's a man after God's own heart. And his is burdened and dirty, filled with sin. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't, don't cast me away. Send your Holy Spirit to me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uplift me. David is begging and pleading God to have mercy on him and forgive him. This is God's invitation to us as well. 
fellow sinners just like David, to come into God's presence and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in case you're not sure or you have the wrong idea about the God we believe in, let me tell you this. The God we believe in is a loving Father. And He has already forgiven you every one of your sins. When Jesus died on the cross, He already forgave you of all of your sins. But when you confess your sins, God is faithful to His promise, and He is just according to His promise, which means He just gives you forgiveness, no strings attached, because it's already given to you. So when you confess, Jesus says, I forgive you. When you say those three words, I have sinned, Jesus speaks to you, I forgive you. I have sinned, I forgive you. You don't need to cover up your mess. You don't need to hide your mess. You don't need to live in your mess. Instead, confess. Jesus will forgive you of all your sins. In his name, amen.